The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and a warm welcome to Squawkbox from Jeff, Steve and myself. Here are your headlines today. U.S. consumer inflation surges to a four-decade high, with producer prices also expected to come in hot today, while President Biden says prices have peaked. U.S. futures slip as attention turns to reporting season, with S&P 500 earnings growth forecast to moderate to around 20% in the fourth quarter. U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson facing calls to resign after admitting he did attend a drinks party at Downing Street while the country was under strict lockdown measures. I thought it was a, a work event and, and Mrs. Speaker, uh, I, 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 regret, I regret very much, I regret very much that we did not do things differently uh, that evening. Party's over, Prime Minister. The only question is, will the British public kick him out? Will his party kick him out? Or will he do the decent thing and resign? Yeah! Uh, NATO and Russia are in a standoff after nearly four hours of talks as both sides refuse to cede ground on key demands. Together, the United States and our NATO allies made clear we will not slam the door shut on NATO's open door policy, a policy that has always been central to the NATO alliance. Markets were setting up for a red-hot inflation number, and that's what they got as the U.S. consumer prices rose 7% annually for the first time in almost 40 years in December. Consumers paid more in rent and food than in November, but got some respite at the pump, where prices fell after two months of steep increases. The latest CPI rate comes in well ahead of the Fed's 2% target, and follows Chairman Jay Powell's pledge on Tuesday to use all available tools to combat what he described as a severe threat of high inflation. Worth noting too, the core prices, we saw that much higher, 0.6% to 5.5% on year. Now later today, the US will release its latest producer prices data that is expected to show price increases still edging towards the 10% mark as supply bottlenecks continue to weigh on manufacturers. So Steve, this is still a huge issue for markets as they judge what's coming down the line on interest rates. Yeah, I guess the interpretation of markets and economists compared to politicians is quite stark sometimes. Listen to this. Uh, US President Joe Biden touted the inflation report, okay, the highest since 1982, as evidence that price jumps have started to slow. Yes. Uh, but acknowledged his administration still needed to act to help those families most affected by rising prices. And as we pointed out on the show yesterday, uh, if his actions any more unsuccessful than his bid to get the oil price down, then I'd like to see what he's trying to do, because quite frankly, that was shambolic, wasn't it? Um, speaking to our colleague stateside, the White House's National Economic Council Director, Brian Deese, uh, said the administration's aim is to get inflation pressures to ease as soon as possible, whilst also protecting consumers. 
In the context of a strong economy, most uh, independent forecasters expect these prices to moderate over the course of 2022, and that's consistent with uh, uh, the administration's view. Uh, and uh, you have a president and an administration that's waking up every day um, and thinking about uh, the practical actions we can take to try to help accelerate that, protecting, uh, unsticking supply chains, protecting consumers, make sure that consumers aren't being taken advantage of. Federal Reserve Governor Lael Brainard will tell lawmakers today the central bank's most pressing task is to get inflation back down towards the 2% mark. In remarks released ahead of her Senate confirmation hearing, Brainard will admit rising inflation is leaving U.S. workers concerned about the declining value of their paychecks. Brainard is Biden's pick to be the Fed's new vice chair. Well, let's talk some more about the inflation print and the market reaction to it. Simon Harvey is head of FX analysis at Munex Europe. Simon, welcome to the program. Good to see you this morning. Let, let me just start by asking you about the market reaction then. Counterintuitively, the greenback seems to have fallen back in spite of this very punchy 7% plus print. What does that tell us about the way the market is thinking about inflation and the interest rate cycle? Yes, good morning. And, and as you say, the, the, the market reaction wasn't so clear cut as you'd, you'd imagine with inflation at 7% and the unemployment rate below 4%. Um, and, and this is largely because there was a lot to unpack in, in that CPI release. I tend to side with President Biden in the sense that there is going to be some disinflationary effect down the line. And I think that's what we saw in yesterday's um, CPI release. It didn't show the broadening and the pickup in momentum in the broadening of the, of the inflation pressures in different components of the CPRs. And most of the kind of the upward pressure tended to be concentrated in uh, areas such as used car prices still, even though there was pressure from, from other areas like, uh, like those that impacted by the increase in, in low wage uh, incomes. So, what we didn't really see is kind of food prices really take that next leg higher, uh, other areas of retail services. And these are the areas that are going to be hit uh, in, in January and in February by the Omicron variant and the reduction in demand. So what, what we didn't really see is this kind of wholeheartedly robust inflation reports that not only confirmed the really hawkish priors of markets, because we're not just talking about a market expecting four rate hikes. We're also talking about a market that is discussing very early quantitative tightening on top of this. Um, and so the, the CPI report didn't really kind of suggest that this is then a kind of a known factor and a, a known dynamic going throughout the year. And it also suggested that actually these kind of intermediate to back end yields might not actually be able to keep up with current, current market expectations. And this inflationary pressure may actually be able to come down a lot quicker than what markets were previously pricing following the November CPI report. So, Simon, where does that leave us um, with regard to the right value for the dollar at this stage and how you trade that? Yes, we've always argued that we don't necessarily see um, the market pricing for this year with regards to rates as too aggressively high. We, we think it's actually about right with what we've seen from different 
Fed members. But what we are noticing is that asymmet there are asymmetric risks. So the risk profile to the dollar is downwards. And that's what we've seen really over the course of the year so far, uh, in the sense that FX markets have been a bit more resistant than other markets to the change in the, in the US rate landscape. Um, and as we come into this year and we see kind of labor market dynamics and inflation dynamics become a bit clearer over the next six months, we think there is that, that expectation or the potential uh, for, for the Fed to under-deliver in the sense that it's going to be very difficult for, for the US economy to really push market pricing of, of the normalization cycle higher. So we're looking at different, different aspects, for example, cable, where there was this cap in, in, in a yield perspective of, well, the Bank of England's really going to get to 1% maximum this year. The Federal Reserve looks like they're going to match that and then potentially then some with, with taking uh, some more aggressive quantitative tightening. Uh, and then we talk about, well, where's next for, for the rate landscape there? And the question is becoming a bit more clouded from the US perspective as opposed to the UK perspective. Uh, and it can actually start to alleviate some pressure on, 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 these, uh, on these currencies, which is why we saw the market reaction we did in yesterday's, uh, in, in yesterday's market following the CPRs. Uh, very good morning to you, Simon. Isn't the genie out the bottle, though, in the second round effects? I mean, there's no sign of any abating from what I can see about average hourly earnings, about salaries, starting salaries, rehiring salaries, the jolt surveys backing quits in record numbers that we've ever seen as well. Uh, I see it as potentially good news, but bad news potentially for corporates, I guess, who don't want to pay their workers so much. Yes, but bad news for corporates as well, because it's likely going to filter into the fact that their lending rates are going to go up as well. So that there is this kind of, as I said, there is this narrative. We're not discussing whether the Fed are going to hype or not this year. We're having to put this all into the relation of the Federal Reserve are going to hype rates up to a percentage point and potentially uh, start to run off their balance sheet. So yes, there are good dynamics in the labour market that are very supportive. I don't necessarily agree that the participation rate is going to pick up in the next 12 months back to pre-pandemic levels. I think we are seeing that kind of longer term downtrend in the participation rates in the US anyway. So I think we are getting close or we are at a kind of maximum employment target for the Federal Reserve. But what we are looking at now is, is little pockets of, of weaknesses within the CPI release. We're not really seeing that kind of wage pressure kick in, uh, in into the demand side of, of the inflation report either. So there are these little areas of vulnerabilities that I think will start to expose market pricing once the Federal Reserve gets rates up to 1% and then looks to take the next stage in its normalization cycle. And I want everyone to kind of frame this again in the fact that the Federal Reserve has a track record of too quick quantitative tightening and that leading to a repo market distress. Um, and also the fact that they hiked rates in the last cycle, arguably a bit too quickly, and that led to the insurance rate cut. So the, the Federal Reserve has kind of, it, it will have a memory of these events and it may take a bit more caution, especially if we start to see these pockets of vulnerabilities in the economic outlook start to expand once the normalization cycle takes place. Well, Simon, if uh, the accusation can be labelled fairly or not against the Federal Reserve for moving too quickly on the upside on rates, no one could ever accuse the ECB of doing the same uh, with their, should we say, tortoise-like pace uh, of withdrawing stimulus as well. Are they moving too slow? There is the argument there, but I, I think, again, with the ECB, they have this, this, this long-lasting memory of inflation sitting so far below targets to the point that they're really having to, to, to reassess how they even look at the economy and, and monetary policy 
altogether. I, I don't think the ECB are moving too slowly. I think they just really need to start seeing a, a bit more of a firming of, of the economic outlook. And I think you will get that this year, that, you know, the Eurozone economy has a lot more space to grow into than arguably the US economy. Um, and, and also it has a lot, lot further to go in regards to, to the drawdown in the unemployment rate. So we, we are seeing progress and, and we will see a, a speeding up of progress it arguably in q2 once omicron starts to dissipate but uh, I, I don't necessarily think the ecb are moving too slowly in, in matter of fact in in their last decision i thought that was very punchy from them to actually set out their stall in in the very onset of the omicron Simon, uh, sorry. arrival to say sorry so are we, in, are we in a parallel universe? So I'm looking at German inflation at 5.3%. I'm looking at Dutch inflation at 5.7%. What are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at the last 10 years of them not actually having any inflation at all. And I think the ECB has to take this into, into consideration. It's why we're in negative rates at, at where we're at and why their balance sheet is so huge. Um, they, they need really not necessarily a pathway from inflation or, or from, from the economic outlook to get rates maybe up 10 basis points this year. They need a pathway out of this completely. And I think they, uh, they're, they're kind of looking for that in the, in the sense that they are going to continue quantitative easing up until about October. Uh, and potentially we're not going to be discussing a rate hike with them until the end of the year, potentially beginning of next. Now, that's what I'm looking at in the sense that they have a lasting memory. And I think their preference is necessary is to get rates out of negative territory at some point, allow themselves for the next economic downturn, a lot more space that isn't completely reliant on quantitative easing and forcing fiscal policymakers hands. Simon, it's Karen jumping in. I want to ask you about the link to the euro trade because we've seen uh, yields here in Europe. If you watch uh, what's been playing on the German bond, uh, the key here, obviously, it was that it got very close to, to break even, very close to trying to push positive for the first time in, in a long, long time. That seemed to be dragged high by treasuries, although we seem to have slipped with treasuries at this point in session today. Is there a link to the euro trade then? Do you see if German bonds eventually push positive that that could be a very strong catalyst for the euro as well? Yes, I think there is this this whole kind of repricing dynamic that is is definitely playing out in 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 euro dollar especially, and it's why we're trading at one fourteen uh, at the moment. I think there is, as you say, these kind of spillover effects elsewhere. For example, we're seeing cable trade higher and the resistance in sterling euro around the one twenty level, which is kind of helping pull euro dollar higher as well. But it's quite difficult to outline where the euro is trading in this rates environment but from day to day it's, it's looking at the 10-year spread then it went back to the two-year spread i think we are going to start looking at spreads further out of the curve especially as the the two-year dynamics start to die down because the market perspective on the first steps from the federal reserve and arguably from the ecb um start to start to kind of become a bit more set in stone i think we're going to then start looking towards terminal rates which is the big thing that we're looking out for this year and back-end rates uh, especially. And I think there is somewhere to go with regards to, to German Bund levels um, and, and the breakout into positive territory. And this is what I was discussing just a, just a moment ago in the sense that we need to look at the ECB's outlook as a whole, and we need to look at actually their pathway back into positive rates. And I think the rates market's looking at that as well, which is why we're seeing this dynamic play out in 10-year uh, Bund yields. Now, I think that is positive for euro dollar, but it's a question of, well, if, if the back end of the treasury curve can start to play play a role and whether that's going to go to two percent and potentially up to the feds to two and a half percent neutral rates and, and we're not really seeing too much progress happen in that in in that respect and i think it's because there's too much uncertainty in the economic outlook 
And there's also an imbalance between demand and supply factors uh, in, in that part of the market. So I think towards the next, in the next six to 12 months, we are going to see a lot of these factors start to clear. And I think the market will come really settled in how they view the overall normalization cycles in both the Eurozone and the US. Simon, I just want to know about the playbook here based on history as you talk about the Fed and what we could see, all the uncertainty still, because uh, there's been a lot of analysis in the past 24 hours as this inflation numbers crossed that's not 1982 all over again because, you know, effectively inflation was falling then in very different circumstances. There's no real comparables there. Also very different to the financial crisis, more cash savings, very different dynamics in the market. Uh, how do you compare this to history and look at a playbook trying to get a, a handle on where the dollar and where rates could go? Yeah, I think you can take some lessons from history. I mean, there's not too many because of the nature of this downturn and the, and the upturn in the cycle in the sense of fiscal policy, uh, the inflationary pressures, the, the quick uh, recovery in, in the labour market and, and the level of fiscal support that the labour market had as well. Um, I, I think what, what we have to do is we have to take very small snippets from previous cycles, largely to do with the normalisation cycle um, and kind of map that onto, on, onto what we expect going forward. For example, I think we're going to see with regards to quantitative tightening, something that is resemb resembles um, back, of, back in 2017, but I don't necessarily think what we're going to see is, is a like-for-like -like match, um, purely because of the level of liquidity in the market, uh, the fact that the, the reserve repo uh, program has is, is got about $1.5 trillion worth of, of money just sitting in it. You know, there is a lot of liquidity that can soak up this, this drop-off in Treasury uh, holdings from the Fed. But as you say, I don't think there are too many lessons we can take, and which is why market price action is so volatile at the moment, and why we're seeing so many hot takes after every economic uh, every economic release, because there, there there are so many priors that are being confirmed left, right, and centre because of the uh, the uncertainty and the fact that we can't really anchor our expectations to previous cycles, and and that's why we're seeing the, the market reactions that we're seeing so far. Simon, thanks for joining us this morning. Good to get your view. Simon Harvey, head of FX analysis at Monex Europe. Well, as we look at some of these inflation-related inputs, uh, just worth focusing for a moment here on the numbers from TSMC. This is the Taiwanese-based semiconductor company, and it has some messages that suggest that some of this supply chain shortage uh, tightness will continue to push up prices. The group says it expects capacity to remain tight this year. It expects chip demand to continue in the long term. Uh, the messaging in terms of its outlook for the year is strong. This is it reported fourth quarter numbers that came in uh, ahead of analyst expectations. So they've given us a profit line of 166.2 billion Taiwanese dollars for the quarter as against the 161.6 billion that was expected here with revenue up 24 percent in US dollar terms. The group also talking about the outlook on the first quarter where they see revenue uh, up in the 16.6 to 17.2 billion uh, US dollar range, which would take them somewhat forward from the fourth quarter with a gross margin higher at 53 to 55% and uh, an operating margin in the range of 42 to 44% as against the 41.7% that they reported for the fourth quarter of 2021. CapEx in 
at 40 to 44 billion dollars. This is a business last year that already talked about a significant ramp up in spending to increase capacity here. The group also says it has a very full order book going forward and they anticipate this year they will grow in a mid to high 20% in US dollar terms. So continued strong demand for a business that supplies chips into phones, into laptops, and of course is a notable supplier to Apple, Karen. And Jeff, worth noting the stock already bouncing uh, this year despite uh, the tech route. It's been up uh, roughly 7.5%. Coming up on the show, US earnings season kicks off with Wall Street on the lookout for the impact of inflation and Omicron. We'll discuss more after the break. And for more on US, not just US, actually global price pressures ahead of today's producer price data out of the United States, it has to be said, uh, check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's rather vintage. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. U.S. markets taking on board that very hot inflation number yesterday. And uh, we did see uh, another uh, jump for the tech sector, the Nasdaq in particular. You could see marching higher by about a quarter of 1%. That said, it wasn't participation across uh, a broad number of tech names. You did see a little bit of softness creep into the mix for even the fangs and some of the big momentum plays in the tech space. So not quite uh, a play of a a day earlier where you saw much more momentum, but uh, it was a, a day where the market did push high and you could see that impacted the S&P 500. If you look at uh, various components for the tech sector, Tesla was a big uh, participation play there. You can see that stock, for instance, rising 3.9% versus elsewhere. There were patches of red, Amazon, Netflix, Meta declining at this point. And you could see there was a little patch of green too around the likes of Microsoft, a decent 1% ad there. But a mixed picture, you've got to say. And uh, Treasuries, this was part of the equation. Investors trying to judge all the different pieces I've heard from Jay Powell standing ready to tackle inflation but not as aggressive as he he could have been for some market participants uh, this week and of course uh, that inflation number so yields actually uh, were pulling back a little bit uh, in session and we've picked up uh, the other direction this morning we're now at 1.74 percent the short end uh, you can see we've climbed we're at 0.91 at this stage uh, the dollar is where we saw some weakness we flipped south we broke support levels on the dollar index below the 95 level and down roughly uh, seven-tenths of one percent in session and a, a second negative session in a row on the back of those inflation numbers. You can see morning session. Sterling still has it versus the dollar. Euro did make uh, some significant gains in the past 24 hours, but just slipping morning session, we're at 114.41. 
dollar weakening versus the safe haven Japanese yen. And it is a little bit ahead versus Iran. So choppy old picture is what we're watching at this stage. And also this hour, let's take a look at the Asian markets picking up on that lead from Wall Street with those gains on the Dow, the S&P Nasdaq. You can see it's Australian markets that have picked up a little bit of a bid as they deal with the record COVID infections for that country at this point. It's seeing some stock market gains. The other markets, though, peeling back, and it's a week old day playing out for Shanghai down nine tens right across to Japan, which has given up roughly uh, 270 plus points, almost 1%. To the opening calls here in Europe, but let's see how we're setting up for the day. It looks red, it's definitive at this stage. Downbeat session anticipated, not huge percentage moves. Don't forget, we've been up for a couple of uh, consecutive sessions here in Europe. The stock strip 600 getting six tenths of a percent yesterday, so it does look like a slight fade. That said, there have been pockets of course behavior too. I mean, we've had sessions where we've jumped out of the gates morning session to quickly fade within 30 minutes of trade to give back some territory. So there is an element of caution, even though these markets this week have eked out gains in some quarters. I mean, on the FTSE, we've been up roughly nine tenths of a percent on uh, the French market, a little bit less, about a quarter of one percent. Futures stateside. This is the early picture. We are also looking a little bit tentative. You can see very uh, small ranges here on that S&P trade, uh, tilted lower uh, for most of these markets. But it's not just inflation, the Fed. It's also messaging from the C-suite that's going to be key now, Jeff. Karen, thank you. Let's focus then on uh, just exactly where this earnings season is going to take us. Um, We will start to get uh, significant significant numbers trickling through here as companies report on the final quarter of the year. And the expectation uh, from the analysts is that we will see a 22% increase for S&P 500 companies. Wall Street, though, uh, I think, as you're pointing out, mostly focused on guidance for the upcoming year amid Omicron-induced challenges challenges on the labour front and supply chains, as well, of course, as this uh, high inflation print we've just seen here. Uh, Delta Airlines is the first to report fourth quarter results today. Our US colleagues will be speaking to the CEO, Ed Bastian, about what's next for the airline as new infections rise across the US. Tune in for that interview at 14.05 CET. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.